It's the confluence where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. On Tuesday, Commonwealth Court ruled Allegheny County must release full autopsy reports to reporters and the public. Brittany Haler is the director of the Pittsburgh Institute for Nonprofit Journalism. She filed the right to know request that led to this court ruling. Welcome back to the show, Brittany. Thank you for having me, Kevin. Uh, If you would, please uh, tell us about your original right to know request that got us to this point. So in November 2020, um, Daniel Pastrick, who is was 63 years old, um, died in the Allegheny County Jail's mental health unit. Um, When he died, there was a quick story in the Post-Gazette that had very little information in it. Um, I went to the county. I said, hey, you know, what the who, what, where, when and why of the situation? They came back with very little information. Um, And I'm from Maryland where autopsies are public and you can just go down the courthouse and ask for anybody's autopsy. So I filed a right to know, not really thinking anything of it, to be honest. And um, it turned into an almost three-year journey of trying to obtain that record. So were you expecting anything, specifically looking for anything, or just a few more details? It started out just due diligence. You know how journalists, we, we want to get our facts right and make sure we have all the information. It It wasn't something where I suspected foul play or something nefarious. I, I just wanted to know what happened. Um, and now that it's taken this long, I'm starting to wonder what is in this document? What is it that, that they do not want the public to know? Mm -hmm. So why did the County refuse to make the uh, records available to you? So in court, the County argued that because Allegheny County is a second class County, which is a designation based on population, that it is exempt from Pennsylvania state law. Um, They also argued that a person determining legal liability or someone who is investigating an insurance claim was the only person who could pay for an autopsy. Um, They also argued in court that it was up to their discretion who could have these records. And they said that journalists have never been the recipient of these records. Uh, And what we argued in court was we should be able to pay this the $500 fee Mm -hmm. and everybody should be able to pay that fee. Uh, to clarify, Pennsylvania has one first-class county, Philadelphia, and one second-class county, Allegheny County. So you, you mentioned you're taking, you took your case uh, to Common Police Court and then eventually to Commonwealth Court. At this point, were you still solely just looking for Mr. Pasterick's autopsy records, or were you looking for something broader, more wide-ranging? Well, we we hope to to make this public in order to request more records. Uh, But as anybody can assume, $500 is a steep fee. Um, And right now we are now raising funds to request uh, enough to get the money to request for all 19 men who have died in the jail since 2020. Um, So that's going to be close to $10,000 just for basic information. You mentioned $500. Why so much? Our position was that the state law exists so that medical examiners can actually make money. <laughs> it was it was a way to bring funds into into the county, not necessarily a deterrent. Um, and it's pretty, if, you know, if you look at the language of the law, it was sort of this tagged on thing for for our local, you know, um, 
people to be able to bring some funds into into the system. All right. Now, Commonwealth Court ruled this week six to one in your favor. When you read the opinion of Judge Ellen Seisler, who wrote, quote, accepting the conclusions of the trial court, meaning common pleas court, uh, would lead to the absurd result that a requester could receive autopsy records located anywhere in the Commonwealth unless those records are located in Allegheny County or Philadelphia County. What was your reaction to the ruling over on those those words? Absurd. Yeah, I was so relieved. I kind of felt like an adult had finally entered the room um, after uh, fighting this for for again almost three years. You start to feel a little crazy. <laughs> you 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 feel absurd. You wonder you know, is this worth looking at? Am I, am I shouting in the street and no one's listening? Um, so I, I mean, I like, I got emotional. We, we, you know, and at the center of this case, again, is someone who, who died, uh, in the jail who has no family to request this record. So there, if we had, if the court had not decided to make these public, no one could have requested Mr. Pastrick's re- record. Only his family could have, and he doesn't have family. So it is absurd, and I was really uh, grateful to have that ruling. Following Tuesday's ruling, did you immediately request the records then? Uh, what What's happened since? We have offered, we wanted to know who to make the check out to, who to send the check to, um, but we were told that the offices are on vacation <laughs> um, until the end of July. I we they have 30 days to appeal. So we're going to wait out that clock and see whether they decide to appeal or not. You were told, I believe, that the uh, solicitor who would make the appeal on behalf of the county uh, wanted to meet with the ME, the medical examiner, Dr. Carl Williams, before a decision was made. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. now Allegheny County has resisted all along. Do you know if. Do you expect the county to appeal to the state Supreme Court? We, I, I, I have no idea. I didn't expect them to to appeal this whole time. <laughs> um, I, so it could be a, a method to run the clock up. I think when you have a majority opinion like the one that we have, it would be, I wouldn't appeal. Uh, it, so, but we'll see. Um, I do want to say though, Kevin, that we have partnered with Penn Live, and that has been funded by the Pulitzer Center to build a database of every death in Pennsylvania in jails. Um, I'm working with Josh Vaughn, and we are currently sending out a call to families to send us autopsies if they have access to them. That has been the one thing that I have been able to report out of is uh, working alongside families of the folks who have died. Um, so if there is someone out there who had a family member die in jail and they want to email us and contact us. My email is Brittany at pingenews.org. That's Brittany at pinjnews.org. Brittany Haler is the director of the Pittsburgh Institute for Nonprofit Journalism. Brittany, thanks so much for your reporting and for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's the Confluence on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Earlier this week, Lieutenant Governor Austin Davis announced $1.34 million were awarded to organizations in the Commonwealth to benefit at-risk students in communities with significant high school dropout and incarceration rates. 
Here in Allegheny County, Amachi Pittsburgh was awarded $300,000 of this First Chance Trust Fund to work with students in Pittsburgh Public Schools. Anna Hollis is the Executive Director of Amachi Pittsburgh and joins us now. Welcome, Anna. Good morning. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. To start with briefly, Anna, what is the First Chance Trust Fund program? The First Chance Trust Fund is a new groundbreaking um, fund that provides scholarships and support for kids who are vulnerable to the criminal justice system or the juvenile justice system. Um, kids who are living in marginalized communities, um, who experience poverty, the incarceration of a parent, um, you know, some of those risk factors that make um, becoming academic uh, uh, achieving academically uh, a challenge for them. You mentioned groundbreaking. You mean it's a first for Pennsylvania or something beyond that? It's for Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Now, you're partnering with Pittsburgh Public School District. Uh, are there specific schools within the district that you'll be working in? Um, this is a, with this pilot um, we will work with Pittsburgh Public Schools and their student assistance program um, to identify um, the schools that will be targeted for this program, but we're looking at where kids, um, you know, students are really struggling academically and socially um, and may even be having some discipline um, uh, nary problems. So we'll work with uh, Pittsburgh Public Schools to identify the specific schools that will be eligible you mentioned- for this pilot project. Um, you mentioned possibly have uh, some discipline issues. Uh, would uh, kids who have maybe experienced the juvenile justice system might be included as well? Absolutely. So Absolutely. How, how will you select the specific students? You're going to be working with the schools to identify the individuals who need assistance, need help. But how will you choose? So we will um, develop an application process. Um, you know, Pittsburgh Public Schools, um, they have experts on their team um, who uh, manage scholarship programs and have done that for years. So we're going to rely on their expertise to help us with the application process. Um, but we are really going to be looking at students who demonstrate a potential for success but are unlikely to qualify for other conventional scholarship programs. Maybe they're just lagging behind academically, um, or maybe they're not interested in college. Um, and, uh, you know, and so our goal is to really try and catch students who might otherwise fall through the cracks. They don't know what they're doing after high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're helping them find their path or helping them along their pathway? What? Both, both and um, students, you know, there, there may be students who are interested in, in going to college, but maybe they're not ready. Um, maybe they, um, you know, don't test well or haven't, you know, been meeting academic standards. And so we know that getting entrance into college would be difficult. We want to start to work with those students and really understand what do they need to be successful? What are the impediments? And we know, and the data proves that parental incarceration and all of the associated factors, racial inequities, poverty, really um, create some obstacles for students. And so we really want to dig in and understand what their obstacles are 
and how we can help them navigate around those challenges. So will this be, in a sense, uh, enhanced guidance uh, uh, on top of what they might already get from guidance counselors in the schools? Absolutely. But you know what? It's also more than that. We're going to be helping them connect them uh, to strong social networks, you know, with mentors and the and the networks that mentors are a part of. So we want to wrap them with some support. We want to help them understand how to set goals and achieve goals. We want to, we'll be able to provide test prep support that isn't something that they could typically access. Um, you know, if they are interested in going off to college, we're going to give them exposure to the trades as a career pathway, you know, nursing, there's a huge nursing shortage. Um, we're really going to be helping them to see the possibilities and really gauge their interest and then help them develop a roadmap. So in other words, how do you get from here to that sort of goal in your future? We're going to map out some specific um, steps and, and trainings that they'll need to get there. All right. So support, guidance, exposure to mm -hmm. professionals. Uh, but what about financial? You mentioned scholarships. Um, yeah. Are these students not the typical students who we think of getting scholarships, though? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This, this program, why it's called First Chance, is intended to really capture those students for whom this would be a real uh, you know, a, a huge life-changing experience for them. Um, these are the ones, like I said, who might fall through the cracks. So we will have financial support through this program to help them um, achieve their goals. All right. Their goals. What are your goals? What are the state's goals for this pilot program? We really want to um, break that generational cycle of incarceration involvement in the uh, uh, justice system. I know that PCCD, the Pennsylvania Commission on Crime and Delinquency, is fully committed to reducing racial and ethnic disparities in the juvenile justice system. So we have been partnered in many ways over the years to help address those issues. And so our goal is to really empower our young people, but also to work together collaboratively in the community, bringing together our resources for collective impact. Anna Hollis is the executive director of Amachi Pittsburgh. Anna, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kevin. It's the Confluence on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. The Guam kingfisher, a small bird native to that U.S. territory, is only found in captivity, with none living in the wild. The last sighting of this bird in the wild was in 1988. The National Aviary is part of a survival plan for this species, and it has fertilized eggs. Kurt Hungen is the Senior Director of Animal Care and Conservation Programs at the Aviary. Welcome, Kurt. Welcome, Kevin. How are you? I am well. Thanks for asking. Kurt, tell us how many of these Guam kingfishers the aviary has. Well, Kevin, currently we have uh, six adults and two chicks. And now you have some eggs in addition to the chicks. That's correct. We have uh, several eggs that are actually due to hatch next week. And just this past week, we had uh, two chicks hatch. So tell us a little bit about this bird. I, I gave a very brief description. Tell us a little bit more. 
Well, like you said, uh, Kevin, th this uh, kingfisher is endemic to Guam. It's been extinct in the wild since 1988. I'm not sure if uh, your listeners are aware of the, the problem on Guam, but they had a uh, invasive tree snake that was accidentally introduced on the island uh, during the 1950s. And over a course of 30 years, this uh, invasive snake was the reason why approximately 12 endemic species on Guam went extinct. So not just the kingfisher. No, it was not just the kingfisher. And fortunately, uh, two of the species recovery programs were started uh, before it was too late. Uh, and this was back in the in the mid 1980s. Will these birds ever return to the wild? Is that the goal? That's our goal. Correct, Kevin. Yes. And we are actually in the planning stages for, for the Guam kingfisher to do a uh, trial reintroduction on the island of Pomari. So that's the first step in trying to reestablish the species in the wild. Is that uh, this island, is this uh, a very similar habitat to what the species has been used to? Correct, it is. It, it's, a, uh, it's going to be a trial program, and it's a conservation partnership that we are involved with, Department of Ag Agriculture and the Nature Conservancy. The Nature Conservancy actually owns the uh, island. How do you care for the Guam kingfisher in captivity? Special needs, special uh, processes? You know, Kevin, all the words are different to care for in in human care situations. The kingfisher, it's a very independent bird. Uh, basically, you, you try to give it some basic uh, needs and you let birds be birds. So they're some birds are a lot more intensive, but Guam kingfishers, they're pretty independent birds. So you mentioned the aviary has four fertilized eggs. Are these from the adults that you have on site, or are they from elsewhere? We manage two breeding pairs here at the aviary, and each of the pairs have laid a clutch. Now, how do you care for the eggs, or because the kingfishers are independent, as you say, you just sort of uh, keep an eye on, but back off a bit well we try to do what we try to do in the situations is we we do as much natural incubation as possible uh, they lay two two eggs per clutch and one of the interesting things about kingfishers is they will not rear both eggs they will own naturally they will only rear one egg so what we do is after 18 days of natural incubation we go ahead and pull one of the eggs and we will hand rear it and we'll let the second egg be parent reared. So there's a couple of different ways that we handle each situation and each situation is very unique. Pardon my poor analogy if it is one. Uh, so only rearing the one, uh, does the other chick uh, have in a sense foster parents or what? And reared by our uh, animal staff. And then once it reaches probably four weeks of age, we will put it with the other chick, the one, the chick that's being parent reared. Mm -hmm. Now, can the aviary attendees, people coming to the aviary, will they be able to view these eggs before or after they've been hatched? Not at this time, Kevin. Uh, this is all done behind the scenes. 
but we do have a pair of kingfishers in our canary coral habitat area. And you mentioned uh, you're expecting these eggs to hatch uh, next week, is that? That's correct. Well, actually, we, we had two eggs hatch uh, this past week, and we have two more eggs that we expect to hatch next week. Uh, and finally, my final question, uh, Kurt, is this. Will any of your population of uh, Guam kingfishers be part of uh, that uh, experiment to sort of repopulate, take them out into the wild? Absolutely, Kevin. That is our goal. What you have to understand is that it's a conservation partnership. We have five other zoos working on to produce chicks for this trial reintroduction program. How exciting is this for you that you are participating in a way of getting this species back into the wild and maybe surviving and thriving? Oh, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, that's what our, one of our main missions here at the National Aviary is to, you know, work with uh, endangered birds and in the wild. We have done a lot of work also with the Guam rail which is the second species that was recovered from Guam. And that program has been reintroducing Guam rails for the past 15 years. And we've been very active in that program. Matter of fact, we have sent the most Guam rails over to Guam for reintroduction than any other uh, zoo in North America. For us, there's no better reward, you know, from what we do from day to day and putting birds back in, you know, into reintroduction programs. Kurt Hungen is the Senior Director of Animal Care and Conservation Programs at the National Aviary. Kurt, thanks for joining us, and congratulations on your great work. Thank you, Kevin, and uh, I hope you come by and visit us. And for today, that is the confluence where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. Next time, as a result of the February train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, Congress and the Pennsylvania legislature are considering legislation to impose restrictions on freight trains and improve rail safety. Thanks to our team, Addison Deal, Laura Satsui, and Mary Lee Williams. I'm Kevin Gavin. Until next time, hope you have a good day of good news.